Welcome to the Intercut Podcast Channel, the place where we look at new movies that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, I've been saving him a seat at the Walter Reed Theater, it's Arturo Zurita. Please tell me you saw some at the Alice Tully, though. That's what I've missed the most. Yeah, yeah. I, I made sure that I got to see those uh, those balcony shots, the spotlight. The and... <laughs> they do. Uh, have you been able to try any of the new ones? Because I know that BAM's a theater that they have over there. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is... I... I believe the second year in a row that the New York Film Festival is doing a pretty cool thing and doing screenings in all five New York boroughs. Uh, granted, I'm I'm still coming across the river from Jersey, so Manhattan's the one that's closest to me, and that's the one that I've I've stuck to for the most part. Uh-huh. But uh, it's cool that they're making it a little bit more accessible, and you don't have to cool. do the trek all the way up to the uh, Lincoln Center to to see some New York Film Festival movies, but. If you do, there are a lot of really good offerings at this year's festival. Uh, at, you know, Starting New with York. that poster in the bag, baby. Look Ooh. at that. Yeah, I, I picked up a... It's actually a shirt. Oh, maybe. it's a shirt. Yeah, the Marty Scorsese Wait, is this, shirt. Is this Look the one that. where if you flip it... No, that, that's not the one, oh. but there's another shirt that has all the director's names listed on the back, like it's a yeah. like a music festival or something like that, which I, I really no, those, dig. Yeah, uh, those have been the best ones. When South By did that, that was so cool, and Zach was telling me that there's a New York one where it's not the movies, but it's the directors, and I'm like, that's that's a memorable shirt. But yeah, that's cool. Uh, were, were you? That's also the poster design, correct? Uh, well, no, they have a whole other poster that is uh, designed by Jim Jarmusch, though it's pretty cool, uh, which I'll, okay. I'll make sure we put up a picture of at the end of this. But uh, yeah, I mean, they always have some pretty cool designs and stuff. Uh, and, you know, we always love to pick up our near our uh, film festival merch. So I, I, I have, have to, to show off mine. So hopefully you're uh, checking us out on video. and You got to see my cool Scorsese shirt. He'll be watching cool. over me from behind. He doesn't even have a movie at the festival, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> you saw thought. Killers outside of the fest. I know. A lot of people thought we were going to get Killers at New York. And then ultimately, Apple decided to forego all the fall film festivals. That is right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but thankfully still got to see a lot of cool stuff at New York. I know you didn't make it out to the festival this year because you've got a lot of similar offerings, offerings at Chicago. So, uh, we'll probably, I heard it was raining. (laughs) It was raining for a lot of the festival, man. Like I, it's, it's one thing to like, just make the trek, the over hour long trek, like into the city, uh, on a poor on a day with poor weather but yeah. they also got to stand outside uh waiting they for some do. of these i stood yeah, outside for, the for i stood outside for 2 hours before may december in some rain so uh not not the best part of the experience at least yeah, yeah. that's that's fine so oh, oh, were to, way uh, too far for me so i wasn't going to any <laughs> Shout out to uh, brother bro Justin from the Oscar Expert channel who actually lent me his umbrella before that May December screening. Definitely uh, made my morning a lot less miserable than it could have been. Uh, but my my day got a lot better. Uh, we that was the day that I saw the opening night film of this year's sixty first New York Film Festival, uh, May December. Uh, there's a lot of really cool movies. I, I think I. Maybe it makes sense to start off with the opening night film, uh, which previously was screened at Cannes. I know we talked to Amanda a little bit about it back uh, in earlier this year in the spring. Uh, now that I've had a chance to see the upcoming Netflix release, uh, I, I'm really excited to talk to you about it whenever you get around to it, because I yeah. think it's one of the most delicious character studies of the year. And I think character nice. studies sometimes is one of those words that people overuse when they feel like there's not a lot of plot to talk about, but this is like an actually rich, morally gray character study. That's very fascinating movie. It's got, um, uh, you know, the, the story about, uh, a notorious tabloid relationship between a married woman and what was at the time, uh, a seventh grader, uh, uh, but it revisits them 20 years down the line where they're still in a, in a relationship. They're uh, 
portrayed by Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, and their lives are a little bit upended when Natalie Portman, who's playing an actress, uh, visits them to do research on an upcoming role based on Julianne Moore's uh, character. It's sort of loosely based on the stay. Uh, the, it's sort of loosely based on the story of Mary Kay Letourneau, who uh, had a relationship with one of her 12-year-old students and then ultimately uh, ended up with them. And it, it sort of explores the the weird complications of that, all the ramifications and ripple effects and that it has on their immediate friends and family. Uh, it's just a really fascinating look that isn't necessarily like trying to be damning or, or particularly judgmental, but an honest reflection of the human experience of the people who would go through something like this. And, you know, you see a story that stars great actresses like Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. And you think that, that like they are going to like eat the scenery, they're going to be incredible. And they both are, but man, I was surprised that it's Charles Melton Riverdale's I, own who really here. steals this film. Uh, his character is just this really fascinating one in that he he's repressed so much and he's kind of pushed so many emotions down that once the character is able to sort of like let some of it out, he he's able to portray it in such a convincing way and and he becomes the the real draw of this story. I thought he was so good. Um, the whole story is really well done. Todd Haynes, the director, has the ability to do these kind of um, s like slightly melodramatic it, that verge on campy, but still are really serious dramas. Like there, yeah. there's there's a lot of very sneaky, funny stuff in this movie. Julianne Moore in particularly in particular uh, speaks with this very like light upper palate, like a little bit of a lisp. And, and, and it just adds this really? funny inflection to her lines, uh, which okay. only becomes, yeah, which only becomes funnier as Natalie Portman tries to portray it. But uh, I, I thought this was a fascinating, fascinating movie. Just a movie that you, if you see it with a friend, I feel like you'll have you know, an hour's worth of discussion to to get into afterward. There's so much to pull apart here. Um, yeah, I, I, easily one of the most fascinating films that I've seen so far this year. Compared to uh, a couple of the other stuff Todd's done, especially with um, uh, Julianne Moore, uh, recently with uh, Don't Worry Darling having come out not too long ago, Safe mm. uh, got a first viewing from me. And that nice. kind of plays with what you're saying. It's like a drama, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of getting into this like... Uh, is it really in her head or, or not? Oh, I see. You haven't seen that one. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, like, I, how would you compare it to that? Or even uh, Days of Heaven? I mean, it, it certainly got uh, similar elements to uh, the tone. There's there's something there, there's something that's a little bit uh, actorly. I don't know it, if that's like necessarily the way to describe it. Whereas, like, I think some of his other work uh, you feel maybe more of the 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 tone of it. This one is really performance led. I, I feel like it's the actors who really dictate um, the the like vibes of of those scenes. If that makes any sense. Okay, it's not like a battle film, is it? Because that's the only image I've seen. I I don't know if there's a trailer out or. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a trailer out yet, but it's it's not a bottle film. It, it definitely uh, takes place like across several days and in several locations, although it's all centered on uh, this one town. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's really, really well done. Um, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. For sure. Uh, another one of the spotlight films at the New York Film Festival is one that I know you're excited to see. You're catching it soon. Uh, yep. It's the latest from Yorgos Lanthimos, one of my favorite directors, and his newest collaboration with Emma Stone. It's Poor Things, which got really rave reviews out of the Venice Film Festival. A lot of people think this is going to be one of the front runners for the Oscar. Um, if it is a front runner for the Oscar, it is a very weird choice. This is not like your typical prestige Hollywood fair. This is maybe more along the lines of, of like a uh, shape of water or something like that in that okay. this has got uh strong comedy elements, strong sci-fi elements. Uh, it's, it's very 
bizarre and it's also shot in in very unique ways. Uh, this is another collaboration between Yorgos Lanthimos and the cinematographer Robbie Ryan. So uh, it's a return to some of the uh, fisheye lenses and people uh, cameras and okay. uh, interesting types of perspectives that they do in films like The Favorite. Uh, this film here stars Emma Stone as sort of like a Frankenstein monster type of character, uh, a reanimated figure who is learning how to become a human. And it is a uh, really quirky sort of examination of the things that are uh, like our animalistic instincts and urges and what, what fulfill us. It, it's She learns how to be a human through like her sexual urges and society's response to those urges and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Uh, you may have heard from its reputation that Emma Stone is like very naked and uh, it, for a lot of this movie, it, it's oh. a, for it's a very like pointed counter argument to those things that have been going around about the unnecessary nature of a lot of sex scenes in movies. The sex scenes are so essential to how this story is told, and, and it it's able to like really guide this character through her journey of becoming a fuller person. It's so funny and clever in a way that I think is really uh, similar to the tone that Yorgos has been able to strike across other movies like this. Really the main reason to, to go out to the theater though, is that like this is, I think this is Emma Stone giving like one of the all time great comedic film performances. It, it leans into her ability to be wacky, but also uh, dramatic. Uh, she, she's so like almost like Jim Carrey esque in moments here, but, but sharp, sharp in her delivery too. I, I found her to be uh, really, really incredible as Bella Baxter. It's also got a lot of our, lot of our favorites in other roles. I thought this is uh, an incredible Mark Ruffalo supporting role, a really great Willem Dafoe performance. Rami doing a lot more like like acting, acting than I was expecting. He's really good in this movie too. Nice. Um, yeah, th this is definitely one of the highlights of the whole year. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you're going to think of it because Yorgos has this penchant for doing kind of bizarre movies, but whereas a lot of his other films, I think are a bit like challenging or disturbing. This one is kind of accessible and sweet. So it, it might okay. sort of strike a different tone in the end, but uh, definitely looking forward to you catching this one soon. Very curious. Let's let's say I gave it two thumbs up because by this by this time this should this video should be up exactly when I'm in the theater watching it and <laughs> hope I'm having a good time. Would you put it in your top Yorgos? Because like mine, I think still Dogtooth. I know people would argue for the Lobster. I know some people like the favorite. You know, like I am, I am a particularly big fan of uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. So for me, I, I don't actually like. I I like most of his recent work, maybe more. Uh, I definitely like wow. oh, okay. uh, Dog Tooth and The Favorite more. This is maybe like close to the Lobster for me. Uh, okay. But it's mostly because I really am such an admirer of his. Like it's not a, a insult to the movie, I guess. Right. I'm excited for it. I'll also quickly mention that uh, he had another film screening at New York. This is a short film. Uh, That's the one that, she was there for, not the movie. Yeah. She was there for the short. <laughs> exactly. The Sag rules. Uh, they did. They only talked about the movie while she was there. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Bleat. It's a short film that previously had only screened at, I believe it was the Athens Film Festival. Uh, Yorgos shot this film on celluloid, in black and white, and without a soundtrack with the intention that it should only ever be screened on celluloid and only ever with a live accompaniment. So uh, both when it was first screened in Athens and when it was screened again here at the New York Film Festival, uh, it was accompanied by a uh, choir and a, I think it was a seven-piece orchestra, uh, which was a really cool way to experience the film. You know, it's like transports you to uh, an era when, you know, they, they had live accompaniment for uh, movies like this too. Uh, as for the film itself, it's interesting. It also stars Emma Stone, as we were uh, alluding to. And I think it's a particularly interesting companion to Poor Things because it also deals with ideas of um, death and rebirth and and uh, 
rebirth through sex and particularly uh, exploring that with Emma Stone's character. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's vague and it's certainly like an experiment in, in how he's setting up these scenes. Uh, but it was a really, really cool event to be at. Uh, as you mentioned that, uh, both Yorgos and Emma Stone were mm-hmm. there for the Q and A. She got a waiver in order to be there, uh, to talk about this film. And they made a, a real point of talking about how they're not going to talk about the other movies yeah. they've done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a cool event. Um, I, I don't know if this is ever going to screen again, but I, I, hey, it's like memory or memoria. That one wasn't supposed to, and now it right. is, right? But we'll I see. like how he's taking it seriously. He won't even say film. It's celluloid. Exactly, right? Um, anyway, so those were the Yorgos. That was the Yorgos section of this recap. I want to at least briefly mention Foe is the new Tell film from me. I have Garth crazy Davis, uh, who previously directed Mary Magdalene. And uh, Lion is probably the most notable thing he's done. A lot of attention on this film, particularly because it stars both Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal, uh, some of the probably most highly touted young actors of their generation. And uh, I can't really blame them for what's wrong with this movie. Uh, I'd say it's a, the, the main problem with it is it feels like it was written backwards from its third act twist. Uh, it, it, there's a, there's a thing that happens later in the movie and everything feels like it's done in service of getting to that moment to the mm. extent That's that stark. you, you can't help but think well, something else is going on. So inevitably the film kind of becomes this long waiting game to get to what is a really underwhelming reveal because you've probably pieced most of the puzzle together by the time we've gotten there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of people have been throwing out that it's like a bad, bad Black Mirror episode. It has a lot in common with one of the great early Black Mirror episodes, which is uh, certainly not doing it any favors. Uh, it's also just kind of not fully realized. It's supposed to take place in this future, somewhat dystopian world, but it, it's so minimal in its setting and in its characters and in its world building that it just ultimately feels hollow. Um, you know, I'm sure there are going to be people who appreciate it for having lots of shots of Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal mostly naked together. And, and you know, I, if people still reblog that kind of thing on Tumblr, that that's the kind of thing that would be popular when t- back in the day, I guess. But uh, I, other than that, I just can't really see much reason to watch this movie. It's a super, super underwhelming film. Uh, I don't know about the theaters near you, but uh, I saw that the landmarks were like begging people to come there. Like, you, you <laughs> buy yourself a popcorn, we'll throw in two free tickets to fall. <laughs> They're not even selling tickets to movies. They're selling concessions and they'll throw a movie in with it. So this, even from the studio's perspective, they know that it did not get the reaction that they wanted. And yeah. But you're saying you can't just rely on two actors to bring people in. That's, you, you may still need a good story. Work on that script a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about one of the big splash film, splashy films out of Toronto, Hitman, which uh, yeah. sold to, for $20 million to Netflix. Uh, that's hefty. Uh, as far as we know, that's the biggest acquisition out of this year's Toronto Film Festival. Uh, and so there's pr- a lot of hype around this movie. I think a lot of people were also excited for it because uh, people have big hopes for Glenn Powell. They think he can be a future real movie star and he's not just the star of this thing. Damn, he's the co co-writer with uh Richard Linklater. No, I'm not saying that is like a diss on Glenn <laughs> Powell. It's just like we got to we got to see the see movies like this in order to build How his many profile, Top Gun right? Mavericks does he need, sir? He, Did, he's been buddies with him though. He's like, done the, two with devotion. Yeah. If we were to talk, yeah, that too. Yeah, kind of the same similar movie, but uh, with his work uh, with um, Linklater. With Linklater, he, he was there for the college one. Uh, Everybody wants him, right? If I'm not yep. mistaken. Uh, and then he was also one of the astronaut people who kind of hires the kid in Apollo Ten and a Half. Yeah. So they have a history of working together, and I think Richard Linklater gets really interesting performances out of Glenn Powell, and Hitman is certainly not an exception to that. Uh, I think Glenn Powell is really excellent. This is the kind of movie star role that people have been looking for uh, to to sort of help launch a guy like Glenn Powell. Uh, He plays a cop working undercover uh, as a Hitman in order to sort of entrap 
uh, different people who are trying to have uh, others killed. And then he ends up sort of falling for one of the desperate women who tries to hire him as a hitman. Uh, it's a, you know, very kind of silly uh, comedy, uh, sort of romantic with romantic elements. I don't think it's a all-out romantic comedy. It's certainly okay. like a very sexy movie, him opposite of uh, Adria, uh, Adria Adjona, who I don't think I'd seen before this uh, where you know, oh, I guess I skipped yeah. Morbius. She's excellent yeah, in this film too. Yeah, she's the, always had the potential, but like when you're putting her as like the Spanish college student in Life of the Party, right. what were you really gonna get? Yeah, I mean, she and Glenn have this really interesting back and forth, this very like her. sexy dynamic. Uh, they they are their charisma and their chemistry is what carries uh, a lot of these scenes. And some of the best scenes are their back and forths. It is a movie that kind of relies on one big lie that is uh, ultimately going to get exposed. That the kind of movie that plays on my anxiety a little bit that I don't love, uh, but it's, it's fun. I think there's maybe like, there was a level of expectation that I had given that it's like in all these film festivals and sold for all this money uh, that it might like have a deeper resonance or, or like be more moving um, than, than I guess what I got. What it is, is just like a very slick piece of entertainment. It's not uh, going to be, I think, on a lot of like the year end lists. I don't think it's like an Oscar contender or anything like that, okay. uh, but it is going to be like a really entertaining watch on Netflix. I feel like it's a, a pretty fun time, like a good movie to watch with friends too. Um, I think people are going to really enjoy this one. I think it's going to be popular once it drops. Beautiful. I just love how this man's become kind of like the Grammy's best new artist. And it's always that one pick where it's a new artist who we've known for like a decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Up and coming, Glenn Powell. Exactly. Maybe Drake can write a verse about him too. Produced by Yadi. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about Maestro. This is the latest oh. film directed by, starring, co-written by Bradley Cooper. Uh, the Star is Born director himself is back with another music-centric film. This one is a biopic of Leonard Bernstein, the uh, classic American composer, conductor, musician, uh, icon, uh, Lydia Tarr mentor, uh, all, all the above. Um, and it's a really, really interesting film. It's not your classic biopic. It's not the type of film that is interested in doing like a... Um, a summation of the highlights of Leonard Bernstein's career. Okay. It's not going to take you through, uh, here are his five classic contributions to the American film can uh, mu music canon. Uh, it it's more of a portrait of the things that moved him and the people that he loved and the, the, the spirit that he had. And it, it is uh, a movie that captures his, his just joy for the process of making music and the process and just his joy for life as well uh, is primarily really a portrait of his relationship uh, with uh, his wife, played by Carrie Mulligan, uh, Felicia, who is is really excellent opposite Bradley Cooper. They have this kind of like Carrie? classic movie star energy where, where it's like a little bit His Girl Friday-ish where they're rapid fire delivering lines and cutting each other off and speaking, of each speaking over each other and in the little gaps here and there. And it's like surprisingly funny in bits too, just their, their charisma sparking off of one another. Um, I think it's also just very beautifully directed. There are some incredible uh, compositions in, in this film. Uh, he has this recurring uh, camera that sort of runs along top uh, of the characters that that's a really interesting angle. And I don't know. Um, I, I was, it, it's a strange biopic for sure. And it's also, just an interesting choice for Bradley Cooper uh, in terms of his portrayal of like the, the toil that it go, that uh, an artist goes through in his personal life uh, and sacrifice of his professional ambition. But I just found it ultimately to be pretty beautifully done. Um, oh, it okay. really, really won me over. Uh, Do you get distracted? <laughs> the, so, <laughs> 
the nose was something I was definitely looking uh, for going into it. And I'm pleased to report there were only two shots in the whole okay. movie where I found it distracting. And one of them is the one that everybody's complaining about in the trailer. Uh, right. So, uh, And they're both in the black and white section. For whatever reason, it, stand, it stands out much less in color than it does in black and white. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for it. I feel like we're yeah. in that, this era where it's like we're really early on. By the time you and I are getting ready to retire, this man will probably have a slew of movies where he's director and star. And it's crazy to think that we're barely on, what, a second one? Yeah. I mean, the other crazy thing about it is just the list of heavy hitters he has attached as producers. Steven Spielberg gets a produced by title card. Martin Scorsese gets a produced by title card. Uh, There's a lot of people who are... uh, you know, giving him the seal of approval. Did you know that Steven Spielberg was going to direct this project? And then when he couldn't, he saw 15 minutes of, of Star is Born before deciding Bradley Cooper was right for it? Really? Yeah. So it's uh, for higher work. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to another one of the centerpiece films at the New York Film Festival. Priscilla, the latest film from Sofia Coppola, uh, about Priscilla Presley, who meets Elvis Presley when she's 14 years old and eventually uh, moves in oh with boy. and marries him. Uh, a r- fascinating look that is a bit of a different portrayal of the American music icon than the one that we got from uh, director Baz Luhrmann with uh, star Austin Butler. Uh, Kaylee Spaney plays Priscilla Presley. Jacob Elordi plays Elvis Presley in this film. And, and does does so very convincingly. Like, uh, nice. I, there's a lot of people sort of saying he he's giving Austin Butler a run for his money. It's certainly a very different performance than the one that Austin Butler's uh, putting for it. But I I found it to I found it to be like pretty transportive. I, I thought he did a very convincing job. It's not so much an imitation as it is like an embodiment of the the celebrity with like a decently convincing voice. Um, Kaylee Spaney, though, does a really, really excellent job as well in the role of Priscilla, really guiding this character from a girl into a a woman. You know, we follow her story through several years. And um, I think it's got a lot of the classic Sofia Coppola, um, you know, running uh, running staples. Yeah. Themes or whether it's the sort of like uh, (laughs) being. pain behind the beauty and glamour and the, uh, you know, inner turmoil of like outerly wealthy and happy people. Uh, To be the daughter of a Coppola. I mean, it's like the one person who, if they have, you know, that talent coming from up above, Right. It's she's like, got a lot of insight in that department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, look, and that's the thing. She, it's the thing that she does really well. And I think she's able to apply it in a really interesting way with Priscilla and por- portraying her as this woman who ends up kind of entrapped by all these wonderful things that are around her. You know, she enters this world as a girl who doesn't know uh, much and is manipulated and, and, sort of like led to believe certain things are are okay when they're a lot more complex than that. And, you know, I think there's a version of this film that's maybe a lot more damning and a lot more uh, treats like Elvis particularly as more of a villain, but it's more, it's a more nuanced portrayal of that. It's a, it's a portrayal of them as they felt and, you know, they had a loving relationship and I I don't know. It's, um, it's a really interesting movie in how it chooses to, uh, how it doesn't play a heavy hand in, in, uh, depicting her, her marriage to Elvis Presley. So it's safe to say that it makes sense why the estate said no. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's the other interesting thing about it is that there are no songs written by Elvis in this movie. Uh, <laughs> there is a little bit of music, but it's, uh, yeah, the estate did not approve for sure. Nice. I'm curious. Yeah. I saw they moved it to November and, you know, I've been, I think uh, Kayleen has been really good. And uh, with Saltburn coming out for uh, our boy over here, he's going to have a jam-packed uh, fall slash December. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll it be interesting for sure uh, to see how this one lands. I'm sure it's going to be smack dab in the middle of a lot of discourse as well. 
but I, I think it's a very clear, clear-eyed portrayal for sure. Um, want to at least talk brief, briefly about all of us strangers because I know you'll get the chance to catch it soon. Uh, I hate the, it. <laughs> it's the new film directed by Andrew Hay uh, about a screenwriter who meets his na- uh, meets his neighbor uh, and. It changes his day-to-day life. I don't know. There's. It's hard to talk about this film without getting into uh, big spoilers. I, I think some of them are in the trailer, but I don't know if anybody's had a ch- if everybody's had a chance to catch the trailer. No, uh, no, no, needless no, no. to yeah. get, needless to say, this is a film that sort of mines um, the characters' past to, for for like coming to terms with the person he is through exploring his past. And it does it in an intriguing, somewhat surreal way. There, there's like a kind of phantom element that plays throughout this film. And um, I thought it was an incredibly tender script. I thought it was really lovely in its portrayal of like trying to overcome your own traumas and, and, and how your past can kind of inhibit you from becoming the person you want to be. I I thought all that stuff was really moving. There are certain, there are certain like emotional climaxes where I felt everybody in the theater around me, like weeping, just openly crying at this film. And maybe I'm just made of stone or something, but it just didn't get me there. I thought it was well done and, and smart and like, Again, just like pretty lovely and well acted too. You know, it stars a lot of people we love, including uh, Andrew Scott, who is the uh, hot priest on Fleabag, uh, Paul Mescal, Jamie Bell, Claire Foy. I just, it, it didn't like, it didn't really move me the way that it seems to be moving a lot of people. I feel like I'm going to be in the minority on that one. So I'm curious to see uh, what you think about the film when you get a chance to see it. Sounds good. All right, let's move into a couple um, films that I think are maybe a little more under the radar, uh, but I think are pretty interesting in their own ways, whether they're bad or good. Uh, one of my sneaky hits out of the festival is the sweet and a lord is in this. Yeah, uh, he Let's has a really <laughs> fun part in it. I've seen a lot of Jacob Lordy this year. Also seeing a lot of Iowa Debris this year, who shows up uh, in a really funny part in this film. Um, I don't know if this is going to make sense to most people, but to me, it, it I feel like this is like a Lana Del Rey song come to life. Uh, she's sort of uh, Talia Ryder plays this girl who run is a kind of a runaway and just exploring different aspects of like the American underbelly in in a way that's like glamorously unglamorous if that makes any sense. She just floats uh-huh. through all these different social scenes and through all these very interesting collections of characters gathering a picture of modern American life. Uh, Like it's got like somebody could compare it. Somebody smarter than me can like compare it to a Mark Twain novel or something like that. I thought it was uh, really funny Has a great collection of actors. We mentioned already uh, Jacob Elordi and Iowa Debris. Simon Rex is in this as well. Jeremy O'Harris, who I don't think I've seen him act uh, much, but I, I definitely am a fan of his writing, and he's very funny in this film as well. Um, I don't know. I I was incredibly charmed by this. This is certainly my favorite performance from Talia Ryder, who gets this chance, this opportunity really? to be like funny and, and uh, alluring and surprising. Uh, really, really good here. It's also shot very uh, interestingly. I think it's shot on a sixteen millimeter, or maybe it's thirty five. Um, by Sean Price Williams, who's a cinematographer uh, that's worked with a lot, uh, some filmmakers we like. There's just a very interesting vibe to to this movie. Like, uh, you know, the opening credits come come up and it says uh, Talia Ryder meets and then it lists all the other actors in the movie. And, and there's just some interesting choices that's that cute. they make here that I, I really stuck with me. I, I really rocked with the vibe that uh, they had in Sweet East. Nice. Um, so I'm curious if you're going to get a chance to check that one out because I don't even know if no that date? has a release date yet. Yeah. Let's uh, see. But... The new letterbox got a little tab right there. Maybe a uh, festival. Yeah, maybe it has. Oh, December 1st, maybe? That'd be cool. Hey. 
Okay. So that's super far in the future. Not too far. Um, <laughs> another film that I'm sure people will be talking about is the latest from Harmony Corinne, the uh, infrared nightmare known as Agro Drift. Uh, it is certainly an experience. It is definitely unique. Uh, th- it's a movie about hitmen in Miami uh, trying to uh, <laughs> take down this criminal underbelly, and it's all done in this very nightmarish dreamlike way uh it it, honestly like the visual design of it is it's not as it's it's closer to the world of like hip-hop videos and asmr audio and video game cutscenes than it is like a traditional film like characters sometimes will do these repeated motions that make them look like npcs there's all these uh, repeated lines that are like chanting. Uh, there's so much infrared twerking, like way more twerking than I've ever seen in a feature film before. Uh, he he's certainly like trying to give it this very like edge lordy vibe, which makes sense given the name of his company. I, I found it to just be kind of like a crazy cacophony of sound and color that like overwhelmed me till I felt numb. Like it's, it's, it's a movie where it's like, you feel your pupils widen to try and like take it all in. And then at some point you kind of glaze over. Cause it's, I don't, it doesn't really amount to much. I, I see there's some people who found like deeper meaning in it, its exploration of like uh, the American dream and stuff like that. But I, I, it's nothing that I picked up from it on my watch. I was, I was tired of it maybe 10 minutes in. So you're on the side that he's trolling more than anything else. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a big troll on uh, just the (laughs) idea of movies even. Damn. Okay. I mean, certainly, like, interesting. And for you and me, I definitely think it's worth seeing because I I definitely want to hear your take on it. Yeah, it's completionist, uh, but certainly not not necessarily, yeah. Not a full recommendation. Okay. Uh, So I'll stick with his uh, scratch and sniff. Stickers from Beach Bum. <laughs> from Beach Bum as a satellite. Yeah. Uh, I do want to give a shout out though to Janet Planet. This is mm-hmm. an upcoming film uh, that A24 will be releasing. Uh, oh, it is cool. the feature film debut of playwright Annie Baker, um, whose play uh, whose plays I've been reading recently in preparation for this film, and I've I've discovered that I love her as a writer. Um, and she carries over her style from the stage in some ways into this film because she is a writer who is unafraid of having her characters just be silent and and not necessarily be super talkative, super responsive to one another. There are lots of pauses in her play and plays. And there's also lots of like gaps here to sort of fill in uh, for yourself in in a way. It's, it's the story of this 11 year old, uh, this 11 year old girl, Lacey, who's spending the summer uh, at home with her mom. It's the early nineties. Her mom, Janet is played by Julianne Nicholson, who uh, is one of the more like underrated actresses out there. I feel like Uh, to me, it's like a really beautiful and uh, detailed portrayal of being an awkward preteen, uh, an awkward introverted child. Uh, you know, if you've if you've ever like faked sick and stayed home to watch like cartoons, there's something in this to relate to for you uh, because they've got this very interesting dynamic in that in a they have like their lives revolve around each other, but they are meant to be separate people and. Uh, uh, Julianne Nicholson's uh, character Janet is a single mother, so she's going through uh, different relationships and friendships. Uh, and the film is kind of divided amongst those different relationships. Uh, it, it's a very interesting, uh, quiet look at at these characters, and I found it to be like extremely relatable on just like an only child level. But I also just thought it was extremely charming in the precision of its um of the type of person it's trying to depict right like it, it's one of those things where everything feels lifted from real life and not and not de- and not the kind of thing that you might notice you know they're really well observed details about character okay 
Um, yeah, so definitely a sweet, smaller film. Not sure when that one's coming out. Uh, I want to go quickly through a couple other movies that played the festival. Uh, start with Orlando, My Political Biography. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story about... Uh, it, it's sort of half portraying uh, these different uh, these different trans actors uh, depicting the character Orlando from the Virginia Woolf novel. And then half of them are sort of just documentary interviews with the actors about their own lives. So it simultaneously becomes the story of Virginia Woolf's Orlando and the story of all these modern trans uh, people who have found uh, echoes of themselves in the character of Orlando, who kind of uh, was sort of like an early... uh, literary trans icon in a way, if you want to call it that we saw a film at, at Sundance a couple years ago uh, called framing Agnes. I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. that one, uh, which did a similar idea of reenacting interviews of, of historical trans figures while also depicting modern uh, trans actors and interweaving their documentary uh, interviews I felt like the balance was a little bit better in Orlando, my political biography. I thought it was a really interesting marrying of the past and the present. So uh, mm. I would definitely recommend you check out that one. Uh, if that one sounds interesting. Uh, cool. This is one that I think we've both seen. Evil does not exist. It's the latest from Ryosuke Hamaguchi of uh, a, a film about um, a man, live a man who lives in a village that is uh, subject to getting a new glamping project uh, and also the ramifications, the unexpected ramifications of that. Um, There's some really interesting things in here about man's relationship with nature and upsetting the natural order of things. Um, I think it is a very patient film that then almost feels like it rushes its ending, but there's some really, really cool uh, thematic resonance to how it ends. Like there's, there's, really fascinating ideas here even if i didn't find the execution as impactful as i did in something like drive my car yeah because drive my car was three hours long yet this one the intro alone feels like it's three hours long but Mm -hmm. it's for a reason it's very patient but you're getting to know again this land because what ends up being the crux of the story is that this company really wants to not just build this place but build it so fast that they're going to affect the water and you realize quickly oh yeah that's what we saw the guy kind of doing a majority of the beginning of the movie and how everyone in the town uses the water but that because the water hasn't been contaminated that's what sets it apart and it's this idea of balance that they understand why they want to build it because they too kind of disrupted you know this place by living there but it's Mm -hmm. how you take care of it and uh the way that the intro comes back into play um because of this place and how the title comes into play, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll stick with you. And that's why I really want to recommend it. You just have to have a lot of patience in the beginning. Yeah. But I still think that as much as it stands out, uh, especially with that ending, it is a little rushed. And it does. It, it left both of us kind of asking, like, ah, I still have some questions of how this would play out. Um after the final scene. So I'll leave yeah, it at that. For sure. It definitely doesn't uh, reach up to his last two, which would have been driving my car. And even uh, I, I know someone was asking us when we covered it at TIFF, um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, but yeah. uh, I, I, w- I would still recommend it uh, uh, as one to catch before the year wraps. For sure. Uh, the Argentinian film, Argentinian film La Practica, or The Practice, about a, uh, a yogi, a, a yoga instructor who finds his life is sort of falling apart in various ways. Uh, It's an extremely dry, wry comedy, uh, very, very deadpan in its delivery uh, and its sort of satire of modern wellness culture and optimization. Uh, There are certainly very funny things that happen. I ultimately just didn't have the patience for this one. I don't know if it's because I saw it in the middle of the day and was like ready for a little bit of a nap or uh, if it's just like a little too... Uh, slow, I don't know, uh, languid for me. Um, but yeah, it just, as much as I laughed at elements of it, I, I also didn't have uh, the patience required for it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, La Chimera, the latest film from 
uh, Alice Rohrwalker, I believe is how her name is pronounced. Maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, an interesting film set in Italy with Josh O'Connor, Isabella Rossellini. Uh, Josh O'Connor, I did not know, was as fluent in Italian as he appears to be here. Maybe he learned it for the part or whatever, but he does a right. very good convincing job of uh, acting partially in Italian. He plays an Englishman, though, who is in Italy and fresh out of jail, uh, and he is a a grave robber of ancient grave sites, uh, him and his cohort, which is a really just, like, fascinating, like, subsection of criminality that it, just being immersed in that world as they dive into tombs and try to find uh, these hidden ge gems lost to time uh, is a pretty fascinating uh, world to explore. It also, you know, seeks to sort of explore, like, what is, like, what what is like a legacy and what are the purposes of these sort of like artifacts and should the, should they be disturbed? And there's lots of really interesting elements woven in there. Uh, the it's directed with this really playful energy too, in that uh, it's not, it, it, there's like, these sequences that are sort of like fanciful and uh, imaginative. There's some fourth wall breaking and stuff like that going on. I, I thought it was a pretty interesting movie. I don't know if I fully absorbed all that it was trying to depict, but I was at least like uh, captivated by a lot of it. Okay. I was hearing some mixed stuff out of TIFF, but I, I've seen a lot of other people, including yourself, talk about it. So I'm excited to catch it in Chicago. Nice. Uh, and then we've both had a chance to see Pictures of Ghosts, which yep. is a, a new Brazilian documentary that depicts uh, this filmmaker, uh, his evolution, both personally and the evolution that he's seen around him in downtown Recife as classic uh, movie pal palaces that once uh, stood around the city disappear and, and uh, the world sort of moves on. I think as, uh, you know, big cinephiles who also have experienced our fair share of uh, dwindling theatrical options and uh, heartbreaking theater closures. There's a lot to really re relate to or empathize with in this movie, but it's also a really fascinating look at just how both a culture and a city evolves over time. Um, th there's some really like cute sort of uh, home video elements to this movie, uh, you know, sequences dedicated to neighbors dogs and stuff like that uh that are charming it's not necessarily the like most like uh deeply you know uh i don't know riveting subject particularly given if you don't have a relationship to like recife but there's a lot of really interesting uh elements in there what did you think about pictures of ghosts uh, I, I know him most recently from Bakurao. I haven't seen Aquarius yet. That's been one that's been on my watch yeah. list. But if you pull up his movies, like a big part of this film is that if you watch it and you like it, you're going to want to see a lot of his films. Yeah. If you watch it, you're going to want to see a lot of his films because that's what's going to help a lot about it. It's uh, segmented into um, what is his own home place at first it's like it starts off really personal before you get into you know what is pitched as him going around his town to see how those movie houses have decayed but like he begins with just how he used his own home as a set but then how his own home changed reflected how everything outside was changing and how the city kind of got split into what part of it got funding and then what part over the water um pretty much just laid to, to decay. And yeah. when he gets into, you know, how he was filming inside of his house, it would have been more impacting if I had seen those movies and I was like, damn, I wish I would have caught yeah. those. So I think right. that would uh, really help with it. But I thought it was still fascinating to see his dissection of the movies, obviously uh, of the movie palaces. He has more of a, a connection to these places, but just that idea that the town starts dying when the theaters start dying, the faster you get rid of art, the faster the place starts to go downhill. Yeah. And yeah, the, there's a short, I'm trying to remember, I was trying to search it up right now, and I, it, it's it's uh, of, a, of a theater overseas that was closing down. It's like a 40-minute short, and it's this documentarian who covers it, and it's just the theater nail, chair, the screen, piece by piece getting taken apart as they interview people who've worked there for years, and it kind of reminded me a lot of this movie. If I could remember the, the short's name, that'd be a great companion piece to this, but... 
it is. It's like a bittersweet way of even if those aren't our theaters, you can't help but to imagine the ones that you grew up with, right? Our blockbusters, our own local cinemas and what it would be like if those got taken away. Definitely. All right, got a couple last films that I want to talk about here. Let's start it with The Settlers, which I believe uh, is going to be Chile's submission to the foreign or or the international film Oscar race, which very exciting because I think it's a very interesting film. You know, we've seen, I think... It, we, in the last couple of years, I feel like we've seen a bunch of movies that try to sort of take on this idea of the the colonization efforts, the early settlers that wiped out so many indigenous people. Uh, and there's been different takes on it. I think one of the more memorable ones uh, is The Nightingale, which we saw at Sundance a few years mm. back uh, from early, Jennifer yeah. Kent. Uh you know, you you compared this one to one we saw at Sundance earlier this year, yeah. Sorcery, which was another Chilean set one. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think you were saying this when you saw it at Toronto, that this is probably one of the most effective ones we've seen, if not the most effective, uh, a really harrowing look at the brutality that, uh, accompanied early colonization efforts, uh, here in the early 20th century, uh, as a, a land, as a Chilean landowner, uh, hires, uh, a set of uh, hires an English general, an American uh, soldier, uh, and a native uh, man to clear a path essentially for his sheep to be able to breed and travel to the ocean. Uh, it is a stark look that is like unflinching at how uh, the evils that were like wrought upon the indigenous people. Uh, and it also has this like pretty. Uh, pretty intriguing kind of like third act to it, which sort of depicts another kind of indignity that uh, indigenous people went through. I think it's just a very uh, smartly done and and like uncompromising look at what's a really like upsetting, awful period in history. Yeah. It is. I'm glad you caught it in a theater because this is one of those where it's like, it's all about the vastness of the landscapes Mm -hmm. uh, and them trying to pretty much, uh, get the border, the outline of what would be Chile and how they almost like funneled it through this um, sheep hoarding business, yeah. right? You know, we're just extending where how far the sheep should go. And uh, I, I think it's a really good movie because a lot of it is left for your own interpretation. Yeah. Um, there are moments, though, where it's like, you know, some of the performances could have been a little bit better. Some of mm-hmm. the direction, especially when it comes to some of the turmoil that they go through. Um, because from these three, you have what is an Englishman, as he's presented, the American cowboy, and then the indigenous dude who they consider uh, like consider to be the dude who's going to turn on them at some point. But you're really seeing mm-hmm. it from his perspective, right? And uh, there are moments in the movie where they don't answer anything for you. You are led to kind of fill in the blanks of what that means yeah. and how this movie is pretty much the setup for the entire civilization that is Chile. And I find that fascinating because it doesn't hold your hand for that. It's you're, you're kind of left to connect it yourself of like, ah, this is like the beginning landing of what would end up becoming this entire country. Um, I think the performances specifically from uh, the the actress who you see in the second half to the third half, yeah. I thought was really good. And uh, again, just the way that it's shot, because there are two movies that are very similar this year in terms of submissions. The other one is Godland, which I've been telling you to watch. Mm. I believe yeah. it's on Criterion. You didn't get to catch it in a theater. It's twice as good as this. Ooh, okay. So while this is the new one from this year, Godland came out or was doing the, the festival run last year. Godland is even better than this movie. So if I All were right. to still pick out of the top five, Godland would be the, the pick. But if someone were to get it in terms of something filling in that spot for this type of story, um, the the settlers is really good too. But this one, bro, it, it's got that same style of uh, the the capturing the vastness of these landscapes, with right. it also being through a religious side, um, how he's colonizing and and kind of spreading his word, which is more than just a good deed. That ends up also having its obvious negative connotations. But hey, they'd be they'd make for a really good double feature. Very cool. All right. Let's talk briefly about Anatomy of a Fall because I've already recommended it on our weekend must-watch because it is uh, starting to make its way into theaters, at least in America. It is a highly touted film, uh, a really gripping 
did she or didn't she do it thriller courtroom drama uh, that's you know slyly funny uh, has one of the best music video. One one of the best music drops of the year, uh, and also an incredible performance from Sandra Huller. Uh, I think it's just really intriguing, uh, a great discussion movie as well. I, I feel, I, I feel like we're gonna have a really good discussion about it. So I don't want to get too deep into it okay. uh, before you get the chance to see it. it. It's a great movie, and I understand why a lot of people wanted it to be Francis' submission to the Oscars this year. But I'm happy they went with the taste I'm gonna let of y'all things. Finish. <laughs> uh, this is just an absolutely delightful film uh, that is about a uh, esteemed gastronomer and his incredible cook and their relationship uh, making gourmet food together for several years. Uh, you know, there's so many like incredible intricate dishes and fancy ingredients that are meticulously prepared. Like it, it's, there's so much food porn in it, but at its heart, I think this is a really like simple, hearty movie. Uh, it's, it's original French title was pot au feu, which is basically like a French beef soup, which makes a lot of sense. Like this is a beef stew of a movie. It is not complicated, but it, it, it fills you up. It warms your heart and, and satiates your soul. Uh, it is a really tender process film that it's about the amount of love that it takes to put into a, a great meal and the care that it takes to also love somebody simultaneously. Um, it, it just is a really uplifting, sweet movie where people are like so good to each other. And, and I, I just, you know, wanted to live in this world as long as I could. Uh, I, I maybe wanted to pause it and like go cook something. Maybe it's because I've been getting more into cooking that I just love this so much, but uh -huh. I just, I found it to be like every food word you want to use, whether it's like scrumptious, delectable, tasty, I, 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 whatever. It, it, it is all of those things. This was uh, a great meal of a movie. Nice. I'm yeah. very excited for this one. There is a lot of screenings in Chicago. And uh, hopefully I get to catch one with the director because um, I'm very curious to see uh, this one because I, I, I think this is going to be one of the finalists. I, I Like France is just a shoe and it doesn't matter what they submit. Right. It, the, the battle is really They're what's going to be their pick, right? Exactly. Not that it, <laughs> if it's going to get added. They're always at least on the short list, right? So, exactly. Yeah, definitely a contender. All right, so uh, we'll wrap things up with the film that probably has left the biggest imprint on me thus far. Uh, definitely a downer. I don't know how to transition out of this one, so we might as well put it at the end. Uh, it is The Zone of Interest, the latest film from Jonathan Glazer, uh, who's, of course, the incredible director behind films like Sexy Beast and uh, Under the Skin. This movie is a very interesting adaptation of uh, the writer Martin Amos's novel of the same name, The Zone of Interest. Uh, it is a profile of the commandant at Auschwitz, Rudolf Haas, uh, basically the German general in charge of running the uh, Nazi concentration camp where they executed, uh, you know, countless Jews. Um, but rather than focusing on the brutality and on the carnage that was uh, done behind the walls of Auschwitz, it instead focuses its camera outside to his family life, to his home life, uh, what his wife was like, what his children are like, and, and their personal issues and problems. Uh, it is a really interesting depiction of the banality of evil, uh, the the bureaucratic and business-like way in which uh awful things are enacted and, and the sort of like unfeeling nature that evil has. You know, I think uh, we, we are at a point where we've had, you know, so many films that have depicted the Holocaust and, and we're not, uh, we're not at a loss for seeing stories like that. But what I think is really interesting about how Jonathan Glazer chooses to approach things here in the zone of interest is, is, is that it's less about like the Nazism of it all and is more about, the, the humanness of it all and the way that ordinary people can enact extremely terrible, awful crimes and, and, and you know, genocidal 
uh, type of uh, damage. And, you know, it's, it's something that makes the film, even though it is a period piece, something that's incredibly resonant today, uh, something that is timeless, even though it is uh, pinned to a specific time. Um, so I thought this was a really stunning achievement. Uh, it is very masterfully shot edited it's also particularly beautifully sound designed uh, maybe not mm. beautiful is the right word maybe horrifically sound design is the right, right word to uh use uh in a q a he had at the new york film festival apparently the script that was for the sound designer specifically was just as long as the script Damn. that they used to shoot the film uh and it, it combined that with mika levy's score which is which, harrowing yeah which is, i've been, it, it, they is, did it again uh, i hear it is incredible. I mean, it, you know, similar to Under the Skin, just the kind of uh, score that gets like un, under your skin. Sorry for the mm-hmm. the pun, I guess. And you you feel like you can't shake it. It is more than haunting. It is haunted. It is, it is uh, dispiriting. I don't know. It is so discomforting. Um, I don't know. It's it's an. It's certainly it's an, a very artful approach to this kind of subject, and I think there are some people who will maybe not respond to how indirect it is or maybe even that it is kind of simple but i think it is still really powerful in in what it's saying and how it's trying to say it mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken uh, you've seen the white ribbon uh no actually not that one okay um then the, the closest me... comparison i would put out there i think you've seen son of saul Um, this is almost like the inverse of Son of Saul because Son of Saul is another film where a lot of it is obscured because you're focused so closely on on Saul in, in Auschwitz. This is the same thing, but take that outside of the walls, right? Hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to that when I've heard nothing yeah. but great things since Khan and how impactful it is. And I mean, just adding all those elements of it is definitely one to catch in theaters because I think A24 picked this one up um, yep. for the winter, right? December? Yeah, I believe it's out in December. And it also, intriguingly, uh, because this is a film that is primarily in German, even though this is a UK production, that's true. they are submitting it. Uh, as a contender for Best International Film, so it might get a nomination there, too. Of course it is. Yeah, it's a show <laughs> right there. It's almost like yeah. not even fair at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really stacked year for those uh, for the international film uh, category, for sure. And Best Picture? And Best Picture, yeah. We have a lot of exciting movies that I'm, I'm sure we're going to continue talking about throughout the year. Uh, going to revisit a lot of these movies when you get the chance to catch them in Chicago over the next week or two yes, as sir. well. Uh, but that's most of what I saw at New York Film Festival. You know, I still nice. got Pretty good. Uh, screenings of The Curse, that uh, Nathan Ooh. Fielder, Emma Stone project. I got the a screening series, of yeah. uh, yeah, the series. I got a screening of The Killer, the new David Fincher movie that I know you're also catching. Uh, and I've got Ferrari, the Michael Mann film with Adam Driver uh, later Reviews this week. Reviews are just so, dropping. Yeah. Uh, it's so Michael we, Mann. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for that one, too. That teaser trailer really got me hyped. So uh, we'll catch up with tops? all those. For this this fest, yeah, just a little recap right now out of, out of the stuff. Uh, you know, if I have to throw together a real quick just top a five, I I yeah. definitely put Zone of Interest in there. Uh, I definitely put Sweet East in there. That's definitely my most Ooh, delightful surprise, surprise of the festival. Uh, Poor Things, hilarious. I, I can't wait to revisit that. Uh, Maestro, surprisingly. I, okay. I just thought it was really beautifully done, and uh, the performances in it particularly uh, were great. And then I guess. I kind of want to say May, December, but I'm going to go with the taste of things because, man, I want to eat all that food so bad. Nice. Uh, Solid lineup. Yeah. Uh, Very solid New York Film Festival. I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, But, yeah, I'm curious to see if there's any films from this lineup that people are particularly excited for. Let us know in the comments down below or if you had a chance to catch any of these movies at uh, the various festivals festivals they've played at. Definitely curious to see what people uh, think about all these exciting upcoming releases. Uh, We'll definitely get into a lot more film festival coverage uh, very soon on Intercut, as well as more of our usual meek weekend must watch. We're in the middle of Scorsese Timber, uh, or Tober. I can't keep the month straight anymore, uh, anyway. But uh, yeah, we're gonna keep it rocking here on Intercut. Uh, anything we should hit before we wrap this one up? 
No, that's pretty much let us know your thoughts on any of these movies. Always remember that just because you can't make it to New York or Chicago or across the border to TIFF overseas, like you will have a local festival. We've been shouting out the Philly Fest. We've been shouting out New Orleans, Atlanta, Sliff, of course. Uh, So keep an eye out for all of those because you don't have to wait for the theatrical release on a lot of these movies. Chances are you may be able to catch that at a local festival. Absolutely. Uh, Also, make sure you're catching up with all our all our intercut coverage on every social channel that you can we're at intercut pod across different social medias you can catch some of our our reels or tiktoks or uh even some tweets and graphics that also supplement our coverage here uh by following us uh also check us out on patreon patreon.com slash intercut pod for as little as one dollar uh a month you can support the show i think you can also now just become a member and get updates on patreon so that's a pretty good way to just keep up with what's new on the show you might be able to do that for free you won't get the the cool benefits that the patrons do but you'll get some uh early updates on what we've got going on interesting yeah uh what else is there uh follow us on itunes or whatever podcatcher you use leave us a five-star review we really appreciate that um and that's about all until next edition edition of intercut Until that time, I'll see you on 65th Street.